Good morning. If you would like to follow along, our scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for if we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for the good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all other types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kath. Whoops. There we go. It does work, doesn't it? Is that which one? All right. We had a great weekend. Uh, this, this, this weekend has been awesome. We had a spring carnival yesterday. A word today about Camp Caroline. Uh, yesterday, we probably, I don't know, we had hundreds and hundreds of people from the community come out to our spring carnival. I had a great day meeting people. You would think that June would kind of slow down, but June actually speeds up in a lot of ways. Uh, we have some exciting things uh, coming uh, uh, in the month of June. We have a silent auction for the refugee ministry coming up on June the 9th. It's a Saturday, 7 o'clock in the evening. And I hope you have a ticket because what we're trying to do is get a refugee family from uh, Thailand. It's a Pakistani pastor and his wife uh, and child who have been in Pakistan ministering had to flee to Thailand, and now we're trying to bring them from Thailand, where they're being persecuted. We're trying to bring them uh, here to Canada, and it costs a lot of money uh, to do that, and we're trying to, to raise enough money to get the pastor and his wife and child, uh, that first family, over. So be in prayer about that. Uh, put June the 9th on your calendar. And then uh, continue to pray for Run for H2O. It's coming up June the 23rd. And we're trying to raise fifty to $60,000 to bring water to a rural village in South Ethiopia. Uh, and for fifty dollars or $60,000, they can service a whole, a whole village. So that's something that we can do as a congregation and other people in our community. And that's our goal uh, for, this, uh, for this run, June the 23rd, to raise about $60,000. We did that last year. And we can do it again. So aren't those great projects that are, are in front of us that uh, we, can, we can all be part of? Well, we've been in the letter of, uh, to the Ephesians for many weeks. And uh, we're not done yet. Can you believe that this man, Paul, wrote a letter like this uh, so many years ago? And what he said back then is still relevant for us today. That's amazing. That's called the inspiration of the scriptures. God carefully guided Paul to write this letter, but Paul wanted it, and God wanted it, penned not just for the time in which Paul lived, but for generations to come, including us. He wanted us to hear it 
uh, all these uh, years later. Did you ever realize that God is uh, using your life, not just for right now, but you are influencing the next generation and the next generation by the way you live today. The ripple effect will go on. So please take out your phones or if you have uh, a Bible with you, uh, I hope you'll open it with me. Uh, Ephesians 4.25, uh, thanks Catherine for reading that passage for us. Fred had been a Christian most of his life, but now life was at its end and he was in the hospital. The family called for the pastor to come and the pastor read some scripture and suddenly Fred motioned for something to write on because he wasn't able to speak. Fred put the paper in the pastor's hand and then suddenly he was gone, he passed away. The pastor didn't think it was appropriate to read the note at the moment, so he put it in his pocket. And then the day of the funeral, the pastor was just finishing his message when he remembered the little note that Fred had written. And since he was wearing the same coat, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out the note. And he thought it might be appropriate to share the message of that little note, knowing that this was the last note and that it might be inspiring to everyone there. And the pastor said, I think Fred would all want us to know uh, his closing comments on this earth. And he took out the note and he read, Quick, step to your left. You're standing on my oxygen hose. <laughs> oh, my. Sometimes we do things quite by mistake. We never would have intended to do it, but we sometimes do. We don't mean to stop on anyone's oxygen hose. Then there are times when we do things that are wrong, and somehow we know they're wrong, but we do them anyway. Maybe part of it is because we've done it so long that it's just become part of us. Pastor Adam did a wonderful job last week of reminding us of Paul's principle of putting off and putting on. How do you stop acting like an unbeliever once you're a believer? How do you stop acting like an unbeliever once you're a believer? And well, Paul says that, that God has a process and that you trust God in the journey of your life because every one of us runs up against this same wall. And uh, it's a three-step process. Put off the old, be renewed in your mind, and then put on the new. And some felt that, that these verses there in, I think it's 23 and 24, are actually uh, maybe a, a baptismal liturgy or like a catechism, that that kind of teaching was taught at a baptismal uh, training service before the baptism. I was attending college in, in Seattle years ago, but at Christmas uh, I was coming home uh, to Alberta. And I was driving through the mountains and the, the, ice, the roads were very icy. In fact, I had to put chains on to get up and down and navigate the curves. And it was slow going and there were lots of signs uh, to go slow, proceed with caution. And even at that, I went skidding to the other side of the highway. No one was coming and I hit a little bank of ice uh, on the side next to the mountain. So it wasn't way down. And so I, I hit this little bank of ice and I hit it and I bounced off and was back on the road again and I remember like 
whew, that was very fortunate. I didn't even have to stop. I didn't get stuck. I just kept on going. But if you chose to go too fast, you could probably slide over the edge, and it could be the other side of the road that is straight down. And you might end up in the hospital, or even worse. And it's true, if you have an accident and end up in the hospital, they can fix you up. They can fix you up. They have all the equipment necessary at the hospital. They will fix you up and get you going again eventually. But there is a better way than hospitals. We are not here to populate hospitals. We are here to make it to our destination. And there are signs all along the way to, to make us slow down, to tell us that there's a curve ahead. And in the passage of Scripture, we have those warning signs. Some of the warning signs relate directly to the breaking of old habits. It's hard to break an old habit. Habits become hard to break because they are deeply wired by constant repetition in our brains, right? They're hard to break because they're, they, are, they are deeply wired because we've done it over and over again, and that's a, that's a repetition that gets into our minds. Jesus wanted us to be free from the habits that entangle us. Paul spent a whole letter to the Galatians, urging them to claim their freedom, reminding them they have freedom in Christ, but somehow they, they, they felt like they were still tethered and that they were not free to walk in freedom in Christ. The old nature seemed to still be in control. So here we are in Ephesians 4.25, and Paul has put his finger on the pulse of this agonizing growth process in Ephesus with these new Christians. And they're often hitting the wall in terms of these long-time formed habits. They don't just leave like that. You wish they'd just be gone, but they linger. So first of all, lying. The old habit of lying. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all part, parts of the same body. Uh, the word that is used here uh, for uh, lying is pseudus. It means falsehood, and it paints a picture that's rather broad. All forms of lying, pseudus, falsehood, from from really out-and-out out contradiction of known facts to little words, carefully nuanced, used to deceive. I'll just slip it in. I'll just say it that way. So it is the white lies, and it is the, the over-the-top whoppers. Lying hurts the body, and we're all part of the body. It undermines trust, and it causes confusion. And we say, what is really going on here? What is the real truth here? And it hurts the body. And there are all kinds of lying. Some of them real sophisticated. Some of them blatantly obvious. Some of you will remember the name Bernie Madoff, who used to uh, have this large investment firm. He lied to investors through the years. On December the 10th, 2008, his sons told authorities that their father had confessed to them that this was a massive Ponzi scheme, and they quoted him as describing it as one big lie. Uh, he was arrested. He's in jail today and will be for the rest of his life. 
And they could never get to the bottom of it how it massive this was. But it, it was somewhere between 12 to $20 billion. That's how huge it was. It was massive. He was a master of lying through his teeth. Year after year after year after year until finally he got caught. It can be a half-truth. Some of it can be true and part of it's not true. It might be flattery. It might be a promise that you never intend to, to keep. It might just be an exaggeration. In church, we call it evangelistically speaking. But it's really an exaggeration. Staying silent when we should say what we need to say. Actually, I know the information on that, but I, I let you believe something that isn't true. I mean, you can think of many forms of lying. What a culture we live in. You have to be careful about everything. And you can't do, be too gullible because people may not be telling the truth. Don't take everything as gospel. You know this when you read the internet. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean anything. We are suspicious of media. I mean, if all the toothpaste I have bought through the years lived up to its advertising, you would be blinded by my teeth would be just sparkly. <laughs> Every time I opened my mouth, you'd get a, oh! Toothpaste is good, but not that good. And when you listen to the media reports, a, a story, a lot of it's true, most of it's true, but sometimes they add a little extra, a little detail that just kind of grabs you that you're going to come back and watch it next week or read the next paper. What attention to tell the story but not embellish it. Great challenge for all of us, pastors included. <laughs> pastors included. In the midst of a crazy world, that is prone to deception, outright lies, exaggeration, whatever. Christians are to be tellers of the truth. How do I break the habit of lying? Now, apparently this was a big issue in the ancient culture as well. The, the culture began to permeate the early church. I mean, again, you don't leave, you don't become immersed in all of this and then suddenly leave all this stuff behind. It's a journey. Breaking negative habits, sinful habits. What does Paul say? Stop telling lies. Tell the truth. Tell your neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. There was a baker who suspected that the farmer who was supplying his butter was giving him short weight. And his, con his suspicions were confirmed when he carefully checked the weight of the butter for several days in a row. And he was short. He had the farmer arrested, took him to court, but the judge had the case thrown out because the farmer explained that he had no scales. So he was using a one-pound loaf of bread purchased from the baker <laughs> as his way to measure the weight of the butter. Paul says, tell the truth to your neighbor which could be literally your neighbor or someone in the body of Christ or someone in your family. Someone has said, I have to lie to keep my job. They expect me to lie where I work. Well, if you have to lie to keep your job, you need another job. Quit. Tell them why. Secondly, anger. Be angry, but do not sin. 
We're supposed to get angry? We're supposed to get mad? Is that right? No, it does, well, it does kind of say that, eh? And don't let sin, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sin go down while you're still angry, for anger gives foot, a foothold to the devil. Now, it's not wrong to get angry, right? There are times in life when we need to get angry. If wrong is going on and we're not angry, we have to check our pulse. On the other hand, we have to know how to handle our anger because everything we are trying to achieve through an appropriate anger can be lost because we just lose our cool. That's not the kind of anger. You know, Paul probably got these words from Psalm 4.4, which says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. That was the psalmist, Psalm 4.4. God is sometimes angered. Jesus was angry. Remember he cleansed the temple? It made him mad to see what was happening in the temple. Martin Luther got exercised in his spirit over what was happening in the established church. He didn't like what was happening. He said, I never preach better than when I'm angry. <laughs> and he needed his friend Philip Melanchthon to come along and cool him down a bit and keep him between the ditches. Canada and the United States are becoming nations of angry, short-tempered people. Uh, from road rage to airplane rage, again a couple of days ago, grocery store rage, shooting in schools, you can almost count on one every couple weeks, violence at sports events. The media has been reporting these emotional outbursts with unprecedented uh, frequency. Leslie Charles, author of Why Is Everybody So Cranky, writes, I'm describing a fuming unrelenting sense of anger, hostility, and alienation that simmers for months, even years, without relief. And eventually, all it takes is a triggering incident, usually minor, for the whole, for the hostile person to go ballistic. Why is everybody so cranky? Quite a title for a book. Did you notice the, no the news clip? I, I noticed it not this week, but the week before. A man from Illinois was arrested for getting $224,000 worth of manure dumped on his former employer's property. Only two weeks after, he won $125 million at the lottery and he quit his job. He's 54-year-old Brian Morris from a small town close to Detroit. He, he bought over 20,000 tons of manure. And he asked for it to be dumped on his former boss's property. And he said, this is my residence, so dump it here. Dozens of trucks with manure showed up in front of the house around 6 o'clock in the morning and began dumping their smelly cargo over the property's lawn. George Fitzgerald, Mr. Morris's former employer, was awakened by the sound of the vehicles on the property and rapidly called the police. Unfortunately, it took the police more than 15 minutes to arrive on the site, and more than 10,000 tons of manure had already been dumped in the meantime. So the accused told the police he'd worked for the, that employer, that victim, for 17 years, and he was treated like manure. He said he had to endure his mistreatment because he needed the money 
But now that he had won 125 million, it was time for revenge. Oh my. Notice the don'ts here. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why is Paul so adamant about not letting sin control us? Why the short timeline to deal with our anger? Because when anger lingers in our heart, it morphs into something bigger. And the sooner you can deal with it, the better. When anger morphs, it turns into all kinds of nasty stuff. You hear those voices in your head like, yeah, I'll dump manure on his front lawn. It's quite incredible the ways in which the enemy will seek to derail us. Paul calls it a foothold. That the enemy gets a foothold in your heart and in your mind. Don't go to bed mad and allow it to simmer overnight. Now I know that conflicts aren't solved so quickly. They can take days or weeks or years to work out full reconciliation. But what we can do and what we can learn from the verse is to personally not let our anger fester into the next day. Failure to pay attention to the broken relationship only makes it easier for Satan to drive a wedge into the relationship, creating division and disunity in the body of Christ. Uh, do you want a powerful verse to hang on the wall of your mind? Romans, Romans 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can do to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can do to live in peace with everyone. In other words, some disputes may never get settled, which is so unfortunate. But our role is to do our part. Do all that you can do. You can't make the other party reconcile, but you can do what you can do. And that's, that is so relieving. Just like, I, I can have peace in my heart because I've done all that I need to do to reconcile this. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay back them, them back, says the Lord. So Paul put his finger on the pulse of what was happening in their lives. They were not controlling their anger. It's a good word to our generation. Especially ours, yes. Third, uh, stealing. Paul underscores this whole issue of stealing. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. It seems like stealing was still a problem in the early church. It had been part of their lifestyle. And it seems like there were two areas in particular which was their challenge in which stealing was most prominent. In the bathhouses and at the docks. In the bathhouses, it's not like the Y today where you have lockers. There were no lockers. You just put your clothes down and then somebody walked along and I'll take that and I'll take that and I'll take that. And at the docks, when the ship came into port, the, the people who unloaded the goods had a way of putting a little pile for themselves. I'll take that there. I'll take that here. 
And we have our bathhouses. And we have our docks. And they come in the form of padding our expense accounts. Or if you're a contractor, intentionally overestimating the cost. Or failing to report accurately to Canada Revenue. Or not paying fair wages. It might be as simple as not giving the employer the full amount of time that you're paid for. And it might be wasting time at work. You know, all the technology that we have at work today requires an enormous amount of trust. They are great distractors if we allow them to be. You've heard the story of the guy who wrote a letter to Canada Revenue. He said, I need to confess to you that I have not paid all that I owe with my taxes. I can't sleep at night. So here's a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> if, we, uh, if we've gotten caught up in this area of sin, then we need to ask God to renew our thinking. Stop stealing, start working. Start working. Start working not just to meet your own needs, but so that you have something to offer to other people. If you start working, you probably will stop stealing. You can be a blessing to other people. And when you're a blessing to other people, you never want to hurt another person. God wants us to be givers. One of the areas that will help you grow is your commitment to give to others. When you start to think of how you can bless others, it helps you put off the lie that Satan feeds that you just need to think of yourself. And it's true in our giving to God. We wonder how we will make it if we're faithful to God in our giving. But God is amazing in how he adds his blessing when we give to him. We believe that the scripture teaches proportionate giving. Proportionate to income. With the base being 10% or a tithe. You say, 10% of my income? To the Lord, well, that's, do, 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 do. that's a lot of money. But you know, God owns it all. And, and this is what he says to us, that this is a testimony of our love and our commitment to him and our trust, that he is the giver of all that we have. In the book of Malachi, the writer says, begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields, and vegetable gardens against plunderers. Wow, that's what God says to us. If you're faithful in giving, you'll see the blessing of God in your life. Stealing. Fourthly, abusive language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to, to those who hear them. The word here, abusive, it's it's uh, our foul or abusive is translated unwholesome or it's translated putrid. Do you know that word? 
putrid. It's not a very nice word. Uh, it was used to describe rotten fruit or rotten fish, putrid fish in the ancient world. Did you ever put fish into your garbage container after you cleaned up after a meal? And then maybe you forgot to tie it up real tightly. And uh, you, maybe you took it out to the garage and put it in the garbage bin out there, but it wasn't tied properly. And before you know it, the next day or two, as you're walking by, you say, what is that awful smell? Putrid fish. Doesn't fish stink? Smelly fish? Yuck. Paul applies that to the way we sometimes talk. Yuck. It smells. It's putrid. We want to say, come on, put your putrid words in a garbage bag. Tie them up real tight and throw them out. They stink. You think they're impressive? No, they stink. Applied to language, the word can refer to several kinds of speech. Cursing, vulgar phrases, crude jokes, even sarcastic, unkind, or mean-spirited remarks. I was just browsing an article in Christianity Today last week, and the article, article was called, Definitely Keep Insulting Your Kids with Sarcasm. The title itself was sarcastic. By definition, sarcasm comes at the expense of someone else. And the writer says, if we play our kids for laughs, they will eventually return the favor. Responding to a spilled glass of milk with a sarcastic, thank you for being so helpful, will confuse the child if they didn't really get your tone. Or if they did get your tone, they will walk away wounded. Sarcasm permeates our culture. It's the bread and butter of every sitcom and stand-up comic. Our children hear it all over the place. What if our homes were safe places where they never heard sarcasm, where they were safe, where we said those encouraging words? We as followers of Christ can be lax in our words, maybe as a, as a way to fit in. What does Paul say? It's putrid. It smells. It hurts you and others. As, remember, as Thumper said in the Disney classic Bambi, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Not bad advice from an animated rabbit. How do I get freedom? Say only the words that are good, encouraging words. You are renewed as you realize the power that you have to build and benefit others through your words. You can make a huge difference with your words, a great difference for God. And it says now, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Friends, we can grieve or bring sorrow to the one who actually resides in us. We must always remember that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. We do not say it. We say he. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Spirit. Paul is careful to say that this is the Holy Spirit who lives in you. 
and is a guarantee of heaven to come. He's a guarantee of our salvation. When we think of what we have and what he's given, we don't want to bring him sorrow. It's, it's the same word, grieve. It's the same word to use the distress that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he was in such distress? He was grieved. It's the same word. When we lie, when we lose our cool and get angry, and the anger is not under control, when we use words that are unwholesome, when we steal, we bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. We grieve the sorrow. We grieve the Spirit. But when we walk in freedom, not letting our anger get out of control, but being concerned for the things of God, not telling lies, but telling the truth, when we work and we don't steal, when we use encouraging words to build up the body of Christ, this brings a smile to the Holy Spirit. He is pleased, and it blesses him. Finally, put off and put on. Verse 31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You remember that verse? Did you ever memorize this as a, as a little chorus? Any, can anybody remember? Have you got it there? Could you just play it? I learned it without the, the country twang, I guess. Uh, <laughs> now, the last couple of verses just remind us to clean out the old stuff. Throw it away. We're doing some painting these days in our home. And uh, a lot of stuff is just <clears throat> getting throw it out. It's just time. Just throw that out. It's, and to put off and put on. Put on the new. We have to give attention to those things that need to be put off so that other good things can be put on. Paul says, put off the old stuff so you can be tender-hearted, so you can forgive others, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And when we have forgiveness in our hearts, or we don't have forgiveness in our hearts, we hold stuff. We hold that old stuff called resentment and bitterness, and everything is soured. Uh, and you might take it out on somebody because it's sour here. Maybe you take it out on someone in your family. Maybe you take it out on your pet. Uh, we all need to be forgiven. I need to know that all is forgiven. If your dad hurt you and he's already passed from this life, well, just tell somebody else, I forgive him. Tell a friend, I forgive him. Tell it to his tombstone, if, if that would help. Because it's, it's for you. It's for your healing. So you can move forward with all that God 
has for you so that you can experience his forgiveness. Making the Holy Spirit smile. How do we do that? Put off, put on. Put off the old, put on the new. Ask the Spirit to renew your thought and your attitudes. And you can never do it on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you tell the truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you take care of anger in your life and not allow the devil to have a foothold. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you not to steal, but be a giver. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you with your language so that they're not destructive words, but encouraging words that build up the body of Christ. Amen? Let's stand together.